Welcome to Ahead of the Game, a podcast brought to you by the Digital Marketing Institute. This episode is a big Q&A, where we explore an area of marketing through a leading industry expert. I'm your host, Will Francis, and today I'll be talking to Andrew Davis, all about influencer marketing. Andrew's a renowned keynote speaker and expert trainer in digital marketing. He's over 20 years of experience to share with us, training organizations like Royal Mail, O2, Ogilvy, KPMG, Imperial College, and so many more. His earlier career saw him innovating in digital at the BBC, and then at the pioneering social network MySpace, where both Andrew and I worked together in the noughties. Andrew, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Will. Nice to see you. Thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, looking forward to this. That's great. Thanks so much for making time for us. It's, um, yeah, a, a great topic for us to cover. And I know you've got a lot to say about it. And I suppose, you know, before we get into the detail of influencer marketing, like where do you think we're at with influencer marketing? How's it changed over the years? What does it look like in today's digital landscape? When it comes to influencer marketing right now, I kind of look at it as the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, the And I'll start with the ugly first. So uh, when it comes to influencers, um, there's obviously there's two types of, well, there's three parts of this, uh, this influencer marketing world. There's the end consumer, there's the influencer, and then there's the brand. So when we look at um, the ugly, a lot of the time I'm going to put this towards the brands. And what I mean by that is, there's been a lot of mistakes being made by brands, um, assuming things like, let's go with the person with the most likes, or let's uh, go with this person because they're a celebrity and let's kind of connect it. There's that, that's a typical mistake that they make. I see another mistake where they do not do much research. So when they, when they look at an influencer, they will say things like, okay, well, let's go with this person for this reason. But actually, they've not gone into detail about what that person does, what makes that person tick. For example, I remember once I was sitting in a cafe in London and I just happened to be a very pretty lady next to me. And uh, I started chatting to her and she said that she's an influencer and hmm. she's works. she has a blog and it's called Five Inches and Up. So I was like, okay, that's an interesting name. And she said, yeah, it's all about high heels because her thing was all about high heels. And then she said that she gets annoyed when companies contact her and say, oh, we are selling these trainers or we are these flat shoes or sandals. Can you go about promoting it? And for her, she was really, she was really passionate about this actually, because she said that they don't understand me. They're not paying any attention to what I do, which actually upsets a lot of influencers. So a lot of brands, they, as I said, they go, they need to research more. And this is why I say I put this part of the ugly. Uh, and there's a few more things you can say. Now, when we go to the bad, I'm going to put this in the influencers hmm. um, because they're not, they're not going to let them get away with it. Uh, the reality is, Anybody can become an influencer. Um, yes, there are levels of degrees, macro, micro, nano, which I'm sure we'll get into later. But anyone could be an influencer. And this industry is relatively new. And why I say relatively new, the traditional world of influence, the Michael Jordans and the, the Pete Sampresses, etc. This is the celebrity influencers. They worked in a traditional world where the only way to get to the consumer was through TV, radio or print. Then digital came about and 
you've got to give credit to MySpace because they kind of created the first types of influencers, the Tila tequilas of this world, which meant you could be very famous in a particular niche where the general public may not have heard of you, but you're like a celebrity in that niche. And this is kind of what we see as influencers now. But what you'll find is because this happened very, this is relatively recently, there's no real... Um, there's no real rules. So influencers, for example, when it comes to pricing, they just read a lot of them just like pick out a thin air. It's like my price is this with no real justification of why. So that's one of the reasons, one of the things that you see influencers um, doing that I, I call bad. Another thing that you say that I see is bad when it comes to influencers is being unprofessional. A lot of them are very unprofessional. Mm. They don't understand contracts. They don't understand, um, ways to engage with businesses and not necessarily saying it's a that's a that's a thing where it's their fault because sometimes it just goes down to experience but sometimes you do really they do need to know that if you're going to work with businesses you need to be a bit more professional uh some of the ways they, they get away with things is uh or some of the things that they do and expecting businesses to work with them because of that uh, what I'm seeing from a lot of my clients is that they won't work with influencers because of the unprofessional mm. unprofessionalism. So that's some bad. And like I said, I can go on to the bad and the ugly uh, for, for, for the whole of this podcast. But let's look at the good. The reality is, and this is a big statement, if done correctly, influencer marketing is what Google Ads was back in 2004 to 2005, where I don't know if anyone remembers um, Google Ads then, but you can spend pennies and get huge returns. You can spend, like, for certain industries, you probably wouldn't be spending more than £10 a click. Uh, and that is a lot. Now, I've seen 75 80 up to £100 a click. Mm. Also, you could look at, say, Facebook ads around about 2014. Because if done correctly, if, they, if brands and influencers know how to work together... I can't think of anything in digital that will give you a better return um, right now. And like I said, that's a big statement, but that's, that is uh, what I'm seeing when it comes to results off of when I speak to digital organizations, sorry, when I speak to organizations, digital departments, who's done advertising, social media, search, influencer marketing, et cetera, this, this is what they're saying. So, and this is not a bias by me as well, because I do different areas of digital and influencer is one part. So it's not like I'm saying, yeah, I want this because influencers is the place to be. Uh, but it really is. That's what I'm seeing. So that's a good thing. Um, year on year growth has increased, which is great. And then we had um, a, a slight interruption with the pandemic. And that kind of changed everything when it comes to influencer. Well, not everything, but it changed a lot when it comes to influencer marketing. Has it been a good thing or a bad thing for that industry? Because it affected everybody. I think um, when you look at it, that, everybody's been affected. So let's take that, that into the equation first. So everyone's been affected. I think it has been good for certain themes, but bad for certain themes. So for example, if I'm a travel influencer, my industry was very disrupted for a good few months. So it really just maps to what is uh, doing well and doing badly in e-commerce really, doesn't it? Pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. And when you look at um, Instagram, they had uh, some really interesting information, some statistics out. And they said before the pandemic, the top 10 um, 
influence of themes was around travel, design, fitness, mental health, uh, restaurants like going out, partying. Um, and there's a few other ones. I can't remember all of them. But now, apart from, um, say, beauty was in that, but beauty was in the other one. And fitness. And when I say fitness, it's more work at home fitness. All the other ones are slightly different. So education became quite big. Entertainment. So looking at reviewers to say, hey, this is worth watching on Netflix or this is worth watching on Disney Plus or whatever it may be. Um, cooking became a big one. So cooking from home, obviously, in this case. So all of a sudden you had different themes. So when it, going back to the original question of has it been a good thing or a bad thing, it really depends on what you're an influencer for. Of course, yeah. So if I was, like I said, if I was a cooking expert or let's say Joe Wicks, you know, he's probably looked at it and say, this is the best thing that's happened to me. Even Martin Lewis, uh, where some of the other ones who, let's say, for example, travel influencers, they're probably not saying the, the same thing. Yeah, absolutely. God, of course, it's, it's changed everything. Hello, a quick reminder from me that if you're enjoying our podcast series, why not become a member of the DMI so that you can enjoy loads more content from webinars and case studies to toolkits and more real-life insights from the world of digital marketing. Head to digitalmarketinginstitute.com forward slash ahead of the game, sign up for free. Now back to the podcast. Thinking about your, uh, your career personally, I mean, you've been both an influencer and an influencer marketer, right? How's, um, you know, because you, you, you know, at your days in MySpace, I mean, I knew you then, and that's when I started to get, I suppose, influencer gigs. And, uh, you know, I remember asking you, you know, when one of my first kind of big things came in, whether I should do it, whether it'd be a conflict of interest and whether I should go, you know, on this kind of trip across the world to a big launch event. But like, um, so you've been both sides of the equation, right? You know, how has that affected how you see it? And how do you, what, what do you do? How do you work in influencer marketing today? Yeah, definitely been both sides of the equation. Um, for me, be, because I've been on both sides, I kind of have a good understanding of both sides. Also, I've worked with influencers in a traditional sense since 2002, where I was working at... Uh, working at Radio 1 Extra because I worked with a lot of artists then. So, which is just another word of to say influencer because essentially an influencer is just getting somebody to, is to influence somebody's, say, actions. And just for context, that's the um, BBC's urban music radio station. Yes. Yeah. Sorry, yeah, that's the BBC, uh, yeah, digital uh, radio station. And working with them... From 2002, actually before that, so 2001, um, I used to moderate chat rooms for Pop Idol and Liverpool Football Club. So I was working there. So so since 2001 to now, what I've realised is that when it comes to influencers and generally social media, etc., nothing has really changed. And what I mean by that is you still need something to sell. You still need somewhere to sell it and you still need someone to sell it to. And that hasn't changed. As an influencer, that's essentially what they're trying to well, that's what they're trying to do as a brand. That's what they're trying to do. But I think that's my frustration with it because, you know, I, I think a lot of marketers are still stuck in the mindset of send free stuff, get coverage. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. I try and get my clients to be more creative than that and really try and push them like, yeah, you have to get beyond 
the idea that you send free stuff and you get a post or you pay money and you get a yeah. post because you're buying people's you're buying the influencers' attention as much as their audience because if, if if for them it's just a transactional thing of like, oh, God, got to do another paid Instagram post, they just do it and they move on, they forget all about it. Whereas if, you know, like there was that Chanel campaign where Chanel took a group of influencers to the factory in France, like no one gets to do that and they got their own unique strain of Chanel number no. 5 when they came out. Like they will remember that campaign for the rest of their lives. Definitely. It's like, you know, and I, I think a lot of marketers are perhaps stuck in the – the traditional way of doing things, which, as you say, has been going on ever since, you know, um, people, you know, were advertising Coca-Cola in the 60s or, yeah, Michael Jordan in the 90s, etc. Yeah, the reality is that in this world that we live in now, people kind of want recognition over reward. Um, yes, an influencer after a while, they might start off getting money because it's that, wow, I can't believe I'm doing what I love doing and I'm getting paid for it. Um, but then after a while, it's a case of saying, okay, well, I've, I've got 50 of these things now, um, that people want me to post this week. So how do, what do I, who do I decide? And I might just go for this one because they're paying, but as an influencer, I might not really care. Um, I, I'll care, but I might not really put the same effort. You're not invested in it, that, are you? Yeah. You're not really invested in it. So as you said, that you say to your clients is, is that transaction yes it it can work but there's so many different variations of why it can't so then it goes down to what can we do as say if i was looking on the brand side what can we do to make it a bit more interested to get that investment in from the influencer because essentially influencer marketing is your to define influencer marketing is to a brand it's your influencing the influencer their job is to influence the end user. So you've got to look at the influencer as your target audience. And what are you going to do to your target audience to get them interested? You've got to almost treat them like as if you was going to treat a customer. So if you was in the B2B space, again, if you're going to be working with a customer and you might spend 18 months work trying to get that lead for that customer um, and the effort that you're going to put in, then you've also got to look at an influencer as a customer and you've got to treat them with that same respect. Again, if done correctly, that influencer will get more of your customers than you do. So the whole the whole saying of why go for the million when you can go for 10, that's got a million each. So how can we build that relationship? And that's what I think brands, they kind of missed the point. And going back to what I said, recognition over reward, it really is a case of saying, well, what can I do that's going to make them recognized? rather than just reward them. So when you break down influencers, the reality is there's different, now there's different types of influencers. The one we know the best is the personal brand. And that's what pretty, pretty much the, the, when people talk about influencers, that's what they, a lot of people refer to. It's that Instagrammer or the YouTuber. It's that the, the, the video gamer on Twitch. With these guys, when you figure out what makes them tick, especially when you start going on a macro level, it's not necessarily the money it's how can you make them look good in front of their audience that they've spent years and years and years building up. And that's why I talk about that recognition. So if you look at someone like Martin Lewis, his his number one thing is his audience because as they say, your network is your net worth. And he's so, a famous financial expert in the UK, just for context. Yes, and he is yes. a <laughs> yes, he's a famous financial expert in the UK. Um, so Martin Lewis, famous financial expert in the UK, he has a site called Money Saving Expert, 
And he has spent years building this up. He's got a big influence now. He has huge influence, I should say. He probably gets offered huge deals on almost everything he does um, financially. But what? how can he look good in front of his audience? How can he show that gravitas in front of his audience? That's why he's on the news, especially during the pandemic. You're seeing him a lot more because he's seen now as an expert. So now he's making himself look even bigger in front of his audience. So again, getting him on the news, getting him on the newspapers, getting him seen in different areas. Now, the knock-on effect is that Martin Lewis, if he was a speaker, has gone from £10,000 an hour to £20,000 an hour. So he's going to naturally make money that way. Also, he's going to be selective of who he picks and who he goes about picking. And if you've gone and really kind of showed that recognition, that's going to help you as a brand work with these type of influencers. Yeah. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that's going to be, right, let's think of recognition and not pay them because I'm sure he still gets paid as well as the recognition on some some occasions. But really, it's a case of saying, what can we do above and beyond everybody else? Because we need to get that person's attention, as you mentioned earlier. Absolutely. And, and I think, you know, just working with influencers down the years, myself and being one at times, I just, I, I think that that's a missed thing that actually a lot, what a lot of people want is validation. Yeah, that you know, they, they, um, it, it goes back to, you know, you mentioned people like Pete Sampras and Michael Jordan. Like, imagine how buzzed Michael Jordan was when Nike wanted to, you know, wanted him to wear their trainers and then wanted to put him on their trainers. I mean, yeah, the money was great, but that would have been a, a real milestone for him. And, and yeah, if, but even someone with a couple of thousand Twitter followers is going to feel great about having a brand attached to them. It validates who they are and it shows their audience that they are a, a key player in that niche, however small that niche is, right? Um, so that is a, absolutely a, you know, a... Um, uh, a really important factor but um you know it, this all sounds great but i'm just wondering do you think that this is do you think influencer marketing is something that any company even really small ones and even b2b ones can uh, utilize in theory yes they can in theory um in practice it's all about execution one thing i realized quite early on in this digital world is that there's certain I studied marketing as a degree. And one of the things that we learned in marketing, which I'm sure all of your users will know, is about the USP, your unique selling proposition or your unique selling point. And I think, again, that worked in a traditional world where now I'm not sure how important it is now. And the reason why I say that is because if you're doing something that's so unique online, somebody will copy you. I guarantee it. Um, I used to sell a lot yeah. of stuff on Amazon. I get in there early. If I'm doing well, someone copies. So it, it, it really is that. If you've got a really good campaign, it's doing well, someone will copy you. So again, what makes you unique? That goes down to execution. So if you're going to be working with influencers, it's not so much I've worked with this influencer because if you've worked with that influencer and then you've got good results, trust me, someone else is going to work with that influencer because they've done their research and they've said, okay, well, that person does well. What's going to make you difference, different is how you execute. And for me, it's all about execution. How can you go about making your campaign so different or so well executed that it makes people say, I wish I thought of that, or makes them think, mm. I've not got enough things in place to, to deliver 
on that. Now that depends, that could be anyone. That could be a big influencer. That could be a small influencer. Uh, so that could be a big brand working with influencers or a small brand working with influencers. Yes, you might turn around and say, okay, well, big brands has got the budget, but there's um, many different reasons that's not always a good thing. But it's totally scalable, right? And, you know, I mean, in theory, we have, we talk about micro influence, influencers, even talk about nano influencers yeah. these days, you know, people with followings of like a thousand, two thousand, what have you. So in theory, it scales. In theory, your local giftware shop could engage local Instagrammers who've got a couple of thousand followers. Yeah. Um, and the, the same thing, the same rules apply in my head. You know, it's how can you make it more than just a transaction? Yeah. How can you make it a unique experience for them? Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, I've, I've seen a, 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 my, in my hometown, a local fashion shop um, did like a catwalk night for just the local people and the models were all like local Instagrammers and they loved it. Yeah. They got to try on all these clothes and they got loads more for their fee yeah. because actually they were just so stoked about wearing all these different clothes. You know, the Instagrammers that turned up and people with a, a couple of thousand followers or 5,000 followers they don't have agents. They don't have rate cards, you know. And then, yes, they can be a bit unruly. And as you say, at times unprofessional. They don't really understand the game. But at the same time, you know, it can be really hard working with influencers who've got agents and who've got yeah. rate cards. And you just feel like you get nothing over and above the last penny you paid. And that's why I say it's the good, the bad and the ugly of this world. I think, yes, good, but we can't ignore the bad and the ugly of it. Which happen? I can put the good and the bad and the ugly for anything in marketing, to be honest. And yeah, and, and like I said, it, when it comes to the size of the organization, to me, it doesn't matter it's that how you can execute. I remember I was training some farmers in um, in Scotland, actually, and they were saying how they tried many different things. And it was just a small local farm and they just had an influencer and he didn't do an influencer marketing campaign the influencers found him online because they were in Scotland and they said can we just have a look around the farm we're happy to do this this and this for you and it was like yeah fine um i think he ended up paying like a small amount i think they said look we've got this many people and da, 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 da. we've seen that you're spending money on ads can you so he, he said okay fine and he got more return i think Again, don't quote me on these numbers, but let's say, for example, he had a thousand people following him on Instagram at the time, that farm. I think after the influencer went to the farm, took pictures and videos, um, they ended up having 4,000. I know they four times what, what they, they originally had. Again, this is a small farm in a remote place in Scotland. So it's not like it's, like it's a big brand, but they just used it. An influencer actually contacted them. They paid them a small bit of money and then they got four times for growth when it comes to um, uh, their Instagram. So it can work for any size business. Um, and that's the beauty of influencers. But as I said, it's key is trying to work out how you execute on that. Well, you talk about that follower growth. I mean, what metrics do you think influencer marketing drives? Like, is it just awareness? Is it somewhere in the middle kind of engagement and that more consideration stuff? Can it drive sales? You know, what, 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 sh what should we be using it to drive in our businesses? So when it comes to, to met this is a question I get all the time, uh, metrics and ROI all the time when it comes to this. I, I say, look at it like a relay race. Um, a relay race, there's four parts of a relay race um, and everyone's got their own goal for their leg. When you're watching a relay race, 
you very rarely, if you're watching the highlights, all you see, I'll say you're watching the highlights on your news, you might see Usain Bolt take the bat and, and then just finish the race. Which is the conversion, the purchase. <laughs> yeah, which is the purchase. He never takes it in eighth place and wins the race. He's usually in first or second and then wins the race. But what you don't see on the news is what happened to get him in that place in the first place. So when it comes to influencer marketing and the metrics, it really depends where you look at it, say, from a relay race. Is it the first leg? And that might be a bit about awareness. So if that's about awareness, then you're going to look more awareness metrics and um, engagement metrics, it might be. Uh, let's say, let's separate it. Too. So it might be more to do with awareness metrics and that might be reach. And I've seen people do influencer marketing just based on getting as much reach as possible with a whole idea that people can click on something, go to their website, and then they can retarget them with a Facebook ad or an Instagram ad or whatever it may be. They just want people to reach their website. So then that means you've got certain metrics you can look at. If it was to do more engagement, and this is it, this tends to be the 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 figure that a lot of brands are kind of, sorry, the metric a lot of brands are looking at. What are the engagement rates? The, and that might be likes on content, um, shares, reactions, who's engaging, etc. That might be the second leg because that doesn't necessarily mean sales are going to happen, but you're actually creating, by doing that, it helps your reach. So you can always connect it that way. Then again, I've seen some people use influencers purely based on sales. And that's when you start seeing influencers saying things like, if you download this app or if you go onto this and use my code, you get 10% or 15% off. And that's an easy way to measure if they got a sale from it or not. But sales is always obviously a major part. Um, but when it comes to the funnel now, you've got sales and you've got contributors and a sale is a sale, but a contributor might not sell you anything but they'll help with the soft metrics that are hard to measure, but are very important in today's world, especially in today's social and political world. And that means perception, impact, trust, authenticity. Hard to measure, but we know as a brand, if you want to grow in this world, these are key, key things to do. That's a very good point, actually, because that sort of, if in the relay race analogy of you know mapping that four-leg relay race to the marketing funnel, the, the last stuff you talked about, perception, trust, that sort of happens as a layer on top that sort of happens outside of that. And as you say, very hard to track and measure, but obviously very important. And it's those you're, you're showing, um, it's a way for company to basically communicate who they are, what they stand for, what they're about by who they're aligned with, you know, and, and associated with in terms of influences. So, um, yeah, it's an important consideration for sure. Yeah, and I think that's where it's it's, it's the likes of of the DMI and yourself and myself to, to really show brands that, look, yes, we can do a traditional way, a traditional transaction, and that makes sense, but we're not in a traditional world anymore. Yeah, We're in a digital world. In a digital world, there's so many different factors. The reality is most people lose the sale before they're even aware of the, the opportunity. So where do we lose the sale? Okay, we might lose it here, 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 here. Okay, well, what do we actually, that's what we see, but what do we don't see? What do we not see? Okay, we don't see this, 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 and this, and this. So because of that, maybe we can use influencers to cover the areas that we don't see to get them to the light where we can see. Now we can have a bit more influence. I never like to use the word control. <laughs> we can have a lot more influence um, over the end user to get them to do whatever objective we want to achieve. 
I know what you mean. Yeah, so there might be a gap in that funnel somewhere, and we we might suggest we might posit that we're lose, potentially losing people, say because our competitors just have more have better perception of quality or trust, and uh, we're getting people so far and just sort of losing them. And we could target an influencer campaign specifically at quality. And that's what you're seeing when it comes to brands. There's, the reason Nike teamed up with Colin Kaepernick was not to sell more trainers because there's no trace, not like Michael Jordan or LeBron James. Very true. Like Colin Kaepernick, the American football player who obviously like a lot of people say the Black Lives Matter movement started around that area, but not necessarily. But he's the activist who Nike want to team up with. So but it's not necessarily to sell more trainers. It's it's to do with the soft metrics. So Nike can do that. Yeah. And, and and brand yes, it's Nike, but other brands can do that too. It's not something where it's like only exclusive to to them. Well, um, yeah, there was a piece of research from Twitter. It's mentioned on uh, the DMI's blog, actually. The DMI's got a really good blog post, 20 influencer marketing stats that will surprise you. And uh, one of the stats, the third one down, 49% of consumers depend on influencer recommendations. This was a piece of research done by Twitter. And, you know, it's clear that people are listening to influencers over and above not only brands, but also, I think, traditional celebrities. I think that they they understand that like the Kim Kardashians of this world just have huge pressure to keep raking in money. So there's a slight lack of trust there, I think. Uh, we'll only trust them so far anyway when talking about products. Then brands, we know that they're selling to us. But influencers in the middle, we know that their kind of livelihood depends on... They, 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 they take a risk also by aligning themselves with brands. And so we... We kind of we kind of instinctively feel that um, they must be telling the truth, and we are definitely swayed by that. And that that's only increasing, I think, as younger generations more and more listen to um, those influences. You know, yeah. And and this kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier on, in the sense that when Twitter says forty, was it forty eight or forty nine percent? Forty nine. Forty nine. I would say that's low because going back to the original questions, yeah, I'll say it's more than that percent because. What exactly is an influencer? If you turn around to me and you said, Andrew, right, what you should do is you should buy this microphone. I'm like, all right, cool. And I might buy it just of your recommendation. But that means you influence me for that purchase. So this is where you start breaking down the reality. Because the other stat that you hear a lot in social media, and that is something like 82% of people do stuff based on friends' recommendations. But technically, that could be an influencer as well. So when you really break down influence, when you break it, break it down, anyone could be an influencer, as I said earlier on. So, yes, you're going to have to set all the way from the celebrity influencers. And as you said, it's all it takes is for somebody like Michael Jordan to say, I support Trump and he's going to get lose a lot of followers. But then you'll probably get a lot more followers who support Trump like him more. Because we're in this very social and political world right now. All it takes is all of a sudden for that person to kind of be split. And and there's 57% of people right now, according to, uh, I think it's Endelman, 57% of people are either leaving a brand or connecting to a brand based on their social or political stance. And I'm going to put big influences in as brands as well. So what you've got now is the reality is anybody can be an influencer. Now you kind of look at the different tiers. So you've got the, the celebrities, then you've got the macro and the macro 
if you just use numbers, it might be anywhere between 50,000 to however many million. Um, and that's relevant to your industry. Then you've got the micro. And again, that's usually say 100,000 to 50,000 or probably less than that, actually. Probably like 10,000 or 5,000 to 100,000. And then you've got the nano, which could be anyone. So actually, and this is where it gets very gray, anybody can be an influencer. So there was a blind Twitter user who um, was complaining because people were not putting alt text on images. So he started complaining, started saying, look, we're not complaining, but just saying, look, be considerate. This is the situation. Can you do this more? Because it actually helps me. And somebody saw that, uh, retweeted it, and then retweeted it, and more and more people saw it, retweeted it. Next thing you know, that person, his name's Rob Long, I think it is, he's an influencer. Because he'd done more for blind uh, blindness and accessibility than any brand that's tried to do it in that space, and any charity as well. That's just a random guy that has done that. So another one at the beginning of the pandemic, actually started on April the 1st, and it was a YouTuber called Dad, Something about asking questions about dad. Dad, I need to know this. But he started on YouTube April the 1st. And he's got like, I think he's got 20 something videos. And now he has over 2 million subscribers. It's called Dad, How Do I? That's it. And all he does is he just answers questions um, that people's kind of thrown to him. So as of today, the 19th of October, um, he has... 2.75 million subscribers on YouTube. And when it comes to videos, I think he has 40 videos, if that. The whole idea is just practical dad advice for everyday tasks, because he didn't have a dad when he was younger um, asking him, hey dad, how do I do my bow tie? Hey dad, how do I do that? So he just set up an account. And that was just a regular man that done it. Now, I'm telling you this in the fact that I'm assuming no brand is behind it. And I don't think there is. Because there has been times where brands has got behind people that you think is a bit like authentic. And then actually there's a brand behind it. So there was a, like a builder. He was like a builder and he was talking about, he was on site and talking about how much he loved the coffee. And then they realized it was a coffee brand behind it. So again, I'm assuming that there's no person behind this. And I'm sure I would have found out by now if there was. Uh, but that's just a typical example where anybody can be an influencer. Yeah, it's 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 true. That's incredible, actually. That's a fantastic example and one that we can never really try and replicate. But um, okay, so thinking about the all star best, what do you think is the best influence marketing campaign of all time that you weren't involved in? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, for celebrities, nothing really beats the the Michael Jordan for me. Because when Michael Jordan joined up Nike, Nike was, I think, third best, third biggest uh, company. And Michael Jordan, I don't even think, wanted Nike. I think he wanted Converse because that's what Larry Bird and Magic Johnson was doing. There. That's true. And I didn't know about this until I saw The Last Dance on Netflix recently, you know. And, yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah. So that, that I would say that is a, a huge one. Um, when it comes to m macro influencers, I don't know. I'll tell you what was a really good one that I thought was very smart was Madame Two Swords started to put influencers in Madame Two Swords and they were then getting footfall into Madame Two Swords based on that. All of a sudden, Zoella, the makeup uh, 
makeup influencer who's big in the UK. Well, big worldwide now, but she's based in the UK. She ended up getting a Madden like Tussauds wax work done and it created so much press. And I thought that was a very smart way of getting influencers involved um, or creating awareness for Madame Tussauds um, ultimately to get footfall because it, she they knew that Zoella had a huge market who really love her. So if that is a great way to get footfall into Madame Tussauds. So that's just one. I, to be honest, there's loads I can think of. Um, so that's kind of like with the macro influencers. When you break it down to the micro influencers uh, and the nano influencers, probably, I don't know, I really like the um, the Rob one, to be honest, just because it's from a different sector. It's the charity sector. And it was about the accessibility and showing that you can just kind of be anyone with 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 a need or an idea. And next thing you know, you're 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 an influencer in that space. What's the best campaign you've worked on? What was your favorite influencer campaign you've been involved in in any way, just out of interest? This goes back to the MySpace days. Um, but the reason why I say this is the best, because it has longevity and this is a 10 year longevity. And that was to do with MySpace were looking, sorry, MTV were looking for a presenter. And it was to do uh, present uh, uh, the MTV News, which was big at the time. And we ended up uh, doing a, doing a, people could basically imagine a competition where you can do a minute video presenting how you would present on MTV and then you would upload it to a MySpace page and uh, MTV would look at it and say, okay, well, we want you to come in for an audition, etc." So they were expecting about 50 people to enter. That 50 people end up being over 2000. And then MTV said, well, actually we can turn this into a show. And the show was, I think it was something like, Ish, are they MTV or something? Like, I can't remember the name of the show. But ended up being a show uh, X Factor style. So you had like the funny ones and the really bad ones. Then you ended up having the um, the, the judges. So you had three judges. So you had uh, Alicia Dixon, Trevor Nelson and Emma. can't remember her last name, but she does uh, Celebrity Big Brother or Big Brother in the UK. She's a presenter for that. Um, Emma Willis, that's it. And then uh, it went from 100 that was doing in front of the judges and then it went down to 50 and then it went from 50 to three and then three became one. And then the winner was a girl called Laura Whitmore, who is um, popular now. So she, Laura Whitmore uh, hosts and has been on shows in the UK like Celebrity uh, Strictly Come Dancing. She hosts Celebrity, um, I'm a Celebrity Get Me Out of Here. Uh, she does loads of stuff for the BBC. So she's a, a huge um, presenter in the UK. So it did launch an established career and it, through this talent search. Yeah, it was a talent search. No one knew who she was. She was just um, um, just like a, I can't remember what she was doing before, but I know she was uh, based in Ireland. Uh, well, she's Irish, so living in Ireland. Um, and then, yeah, changed her career. And that's why I've always been a big fan of recognition over reward. Because three weeks before we'd done a competition to meet 50 Cent and his bouncers, sorry, meet 50 Cent backstage in Spain, somewhere like Madrid. Um, and no one entered because what they had to do is very difficult. And the reward was tickets to see 50 Cent. Here was change your life, become an influencer. But it, the word influencer wasn't that at that time. It, it wasn't labeled that. Uh, at that time it's just like selfies it wasn't labeled selfies at that time but we saw loads of people in myspace taking those type of pictures so um i would say that is purely because of the longevity 
of it. It wasn't something where I worked on a campaign, that person became popular for a couple of months and then the buzz wore off. Yeah, no, that is, that's, that's a good one, that. And I like how it kind of predates the almost the kind of um, the rise of influencer marketing, you know, as a, as a kind of known popular thing, but essentially created a lot of content at the time, didn't it? And then, you know, uh, essentially um, did something that lasted and stuck around for a while. Um, okay, so I'm aware our time is uh, running short. I just really want to get a sense from you of how you think um, a listener <clears throat> listening to this and thinking, wow, this all sounds really great. There's clearly a powerful marketing tool and marketing medium here. Um, how can I how can I get started? How can I test the water? Um, and, and, and just to throw in there, I'll tell you that the thing I get asked the most whenever I do anything about influencer marketing is how do I find the right influencers to work with? That is by far the biggest question. So how could how could a listener take those baby steps and try an influencer campaign? Sure. When, when you really break down influencer marketing, so I'm a brand or an organization and I want to work with influencers rather than be an influencer. Um, there's kind of, when you break it down, it's like five simple steps that, well, not simple, but five steps that you need to do. The first step is obviously you need to decide your overall objective. Why do I want to use influencers for? Is it for um, awareness? Is it sales? Is it for reputation management? Is it for whatever it may be? Because how once you decide the rules of this game that you're playing, then you can then go about delivering on that. But you need to know the rules first before you know what to do. So that's kind of the first thing. The second step is finding influencers, as you said, where it kind of looks at the question that you get asked the most, same here when it comes to influencer marketing. How do you find the influencers? And really this second and first step is all about finding influencers. So the first step is saying, right, I'm going to put my net out wide and I'm going to find a whole bunch of people to work with. Now, you might say I want to work with two or three micro influ uh, macro influencers, or you might say you want to work with 50 nano influencers. But what you need to do is you need to say, right, well, I need a whole bunch of influencers because once I've worked out the different types of influencers I want to work with and the amount of influencers I want to kind of filter down, then the third stage is where you do your due diligence. And that is where you kind of look into it and say, okay, well, what has this person ever worked with anyone before? Has this person, what's this, their engagement uh, like? If depending on my objective, which means I can know what I want to measure. Um, by engagement, you mean their, how much their content gets engaged with as a, as a ratio to their following? Uh, that could be one of the metrics you can look at. Um, and, I'll, and I'll give you some, some places where it's some tools that you can look at. So, for example, some, some, another engagement might be just growth of the channel. That might be another one where you look at. So I kind of put all of these metrics into more like engagement, conversational growth metrics in, in, in kind of one. Um, and then obviously I split it up into different things. But one could be growth. So, for example, you might say, I want to work with this YouTuber because they've got a million subscribers. But you could use sites like Social um, um, Social Blade and then look at their their subscribers over a period of time and you might realize that 900,000 of those subscribers actually joined them eight years ago and actually there's only it's actually been quite a small increase over the last few years so they were big then but not now so this is why I say we've got to do our, our due diligence uh, around that 
And Social and Blade you... also shows up spikes, doesn't it? You know, that yeah. might tell whether they've kind of bought followers and what have you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's the other thing you need to look at. Did they buy followers? Because you can just go into Instagram right now, type in uh, buy Instagram followers, and then you'll see all of these sites that show you all these Instagram for how for 50 pounds or for 100 pounds or for 100 dollars, whatever, you could easily get a thousand or no for that much you might be able to get five thousand uh followers uh easily and if a brand hasn't done their due diligence they may say hey we'll pay you 600 pounds for, for a post they take that money and that 600 pound they invest into more followers and that means they can make more money and then but there's no substance behind it so but as you said that's another good metric as well uh will when it comes to okay well what percentage of the people who follow them actually engage in their post. But then if you want to go into even more details is if you know that they've done sponsored stuff before, what percentage of people engage with their sponsored posts? Cause that's essentially what we're after. That's a good, that's a good call actually. So looking, comparing their sponsored content previously with their normal content. Yeah. Because that's, that's really important because you might have someone who's really big when it comes to their normal stuff, but when they ask people to take some form of action based on some sponsored, zero engagement so and, and you've seen that there was a girl i don't know if you heard about she had two million followers and then she's done a campaign with a company or she started her own t-shirt company and 36 people bought her t-shirt so yeah she was getting loads of engagement on her other stuff when she asked them hey buy my my t-shirt or worked with a company buy my t-shirt 36 which is which is nothing uh, so that's kind of the first step. The full step is then understanding how to pitch to influencers, build those relationships, contracts if if contracts is needed, um, and briefing them. And that goes down to that bit. That's a key bit. Um, and then the so fifth how do I bit, contact an influencer? Many different ways. So some of them might have agents, uh, as you said. That's usually the higher ones. Some of them they might just say, you know what, just uh, just go onto their Instagram page, and they might be contact them that way. When I've done a lot of stuff in the Middle East, a lot of influencers are all about WhatsApp. So it's like, here's my WhatsApp. They might have two phones, so they, they'll have their WhatsApp, and that's their influencer hotline, and then just WhatsApp them. So Because a lot of people, especially the younger generation, prefer WhatsApp rather than email, definitely before phoning them. So it depends. If What I've figured out, I've, I've done influencer marketing in, in many different countries. So the week before the pandemic basically locked everything down. I was in India and luckily I managed to get back in time. Otherwise I would have been stuck like in India for, for three or four months with pretty much nowhere to go, no home um, out there. In India, it's very mobile first. In the Middle East, very mobile first. In the UK, yes, it's starting to be mobile first, but not it doesn't have the legacy of mobile first like it does in those countries, in Africa as well. Very mobile first. And because it's mobile first, it's always about contact me via WhatsApp. That's what you see. And they publish their numbers on, on their Instagram profiles? Yeah, they'll publish their numbers. Yeah, they'll pu but, but it's not it's not like their personal number. They'll have two phones. Yeah, yeah. It's literally, that's my business. So that's kind of like, so there's that way um, you might use um, platforms. So you might invest money into an influencer platform. And I really like these platforms um, because it helps you do, it helps you find people quicker. I use Ninja Outreach. Yeah, so Ninja Outreach. So Ninja Outreach was um, originally, I used to use Ninja Outreach more to email people quickly because that's what I think it what originally was and then it kind of pivoted. Um, I like Ninja Outreach. Tracker's good as well. I use Influencer Intelligence. Um, that's the one that I use um, and I find that very, very good. 
So there's a few out there. There's one hype auditor that seems to be quite popular as well. Um, so these are the ones that you can use to actually help do your, your, it gives you contact details as well. So how to contact them. The reason why I said that is because how to contact them. So that's another reason why. And then what will happen is by the fourth, by this stage, you, they still haven't promoted your stuff, but these are all the things that you want to kind of get in place. Then they'll promote your stuff and then you need to measure. Now this might sound a lot, but the key is that once you start doing it, like with everything, something that might originally take you three, four weeks can be done in half a day, if that. So, and also if you're starting to see the returns, then you might get a program or you might, yeah, you might decide to invest in one of these products and then you can get it done relatively quick, like even quicker than that as well. So that's pretty much if I was starting from, from normal. But what I've realized working in this digital space um, since 2001, when I say work, I'm talking full-time work uh, since 2001, is that this stuff is, is is simple. It's not easy, but it is simple. Hence why you've got seven-year-old millionaires. You know, they're not even finished primary school and they're millionaires doing all of this stuff. We're not, when it comes to influence and marketing, we're not creating Google's algorithm. We don't need to be mad scientists. Um, we just need to, to follow some real basic, simple, simple steps. And that is know your plan, monitor, look for a whole bunch of influencers, do your due diligence, know how to pitch and create and speak to them and then measure success. And then what happens once you get your success or failure you go back again. Your plan doesn't really change. So really you're just working in the four, the four steps. And after a while, um, you'll realize that, because the other thing as well, one thing to quickly add, sometimes when you do your due diligence on an influencer, I've worked with influencers who have a huge reach and get good engagement, but I've not worked with them because they're a nightmare to work with. And I've worked with others, not as good as statistics, but I've worked with them more because they're nice people to work with. Because that's another thing as well. You don't, Yes, you might get amazing results, but you might have a nightmare. And then it's not good for your mental health uh, as well, working with them. Yeah. And it is relationship-based, isn't it? You know, just like PR was before it, it's relationship-based. Exactly, exactly. Uh, and because and it's relationships-based, it goes into those soft metrics again. Um, yeah. Um, you talked about having worked around the world on influencer marketing. I mean, have you seen any, any other cultural differences in terms of how influencers work and think in those different countries? India and the, and the Middle East were very similar in the sense that influencer marketing has been around longer as a career. And what I mean by that is in, let's say, the UK and Europe, it's only really been since, say, 2016, 17, where the spike on Google Trends for influencer marketing is starting to go like this, where there, I think it was around about 2014. Um, that's one thing. Secondly, the platform. So most influencers, when you think of influencer marketing, it's more to do with um, Instagram. And right now, TikTok seems to be, but that's more because it's the flavor of the month. Over there, it's... Um, it literally is what I've seen, but don't forget, I've, I've not been in the Middle East for a couple of years. Um, and in, in India, this was all pre-pandemic. Um, India was all about Instagram that I found. There was a couple of other sites, but I'm talking predominantly there. Where when I went to say the, the, the when I actually no, tell a lie, I was in I was in Moscow in November, and I was I was training over. Well, I gave a talk over there. For them. It's 
for example, TikTok was on the rise in a lot of Middle East countries, but it was all about Instagram. For example, Twitter, very, very low, very, very low over there. Facebook on the way down. YouTube, popular. So sometimes it's about the platforms. Also, I've noticed in Europe, B2B influencer is a lot more popular than in the Middle East and in India. Um, so Europe and America, you start to see the rise more in B2B influencers as well. So these are some of the cultural, like the obvious ones that kind of stand out to me. Okay, well, um, I think that's all we've got time for, actually. Um, <clears throat> thanks so much. That was so interesting to hear your take on influencer marketing. And you went into lots of detail there. And um, yeah, there's lots to lots to think about for sure. And um, lots of jumping off points for people to go and like research and think about later. Just tell us, where can people find you online? Sure. So, um, and this kind of answers one of the questions that, well, one of the things I said I'll get back to uh, uh, earlier on. So to find me online, my website is andrewmilesdavis.com. Um, and that is uh, A-N-D-R-E-W-M-I-L-E-S and Davis spelled D-A-V-I-S. So andrewmilesdavis.com. On that site, I've got a, a guide and that, it's a free tool guide. And right now there's uh, 531 free tools. Um, and when I say free, I don't mean free for seven days or 14 days. I mean free forever. Um, so that if you want tools on design, marketing, social media, SEO, um, loads, but there's also a section on influencer marketing. So there's some tools there that will tell you engagement rates. It will tell you prices that you can potentially charge. And these are all free tools that you can use. So that's uh, where you can find me. Um, but really, my my social uh, media site of choice is LinkedIn. Um, and on LinkedIn, I'm linkedin.com slash IN slash Andrew M for Miles Davis, D-A-V-I-S. Yes. And you do you do post engaging content most days, really interesting stuff about innovation and digital and I can see that a lot of people really engage with that. Yeah, I try and do stuff on innovation, digital marketing, advertising. So I post pretty much every day on, on LinkedIn. Like sometimes, like occasional day or the weekend I might not post. But since the pandemic, I've really kind of um, just focused on LinkedIn and kind of show people just the whole idea is just show cool stuff that's that's happening. Well, Andrew, cheers. Thanks so much, mate. Really, really appreciate your time. And uh, yeah. No, thanks for having me. That's been a pleasure. Thanks a lot. See ya. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information about transforming your marketing career through certified online training, head to digitalmarketinginstitute.com. Thanks for listening.